Yo, 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 what's good, everyone? Welcome back to Just Talking Sports. I'm your host, JT Noah, and today's episode is gonna be a good one, folks. I've got a special guest, Cedric Case, on this episode. It's gonna be a great one. I cannot wait for it to happen. But before we get into that, we have some big news to talk about. We're gonna get into it with the NFL, college football, and everything in between. I'm telling you, folks, it's gonna be a good one. We've got big time news. Everything from in between college football, NFL, and everything else. So let's get right into it with everything to do. I sat down with Cedric Case last yesterday, excuse me, and we got to talk about what it's like to be in college football playing for UCM. And so I got to sit down with him yesterday. We did this conversation. It's not live, folks, but I got it for you and we're about to play it. And so here we go. Alrighty guys, welcome back. It's you know just talking sitting down with Cedric Case, quarterback, Alrighty, folks, uh, something is happening with the audio. It is loading in, and so we're going to take a breather, and we're going to calm down. It's loading in. Once it loads in, we're going to play it. No worries, folks. Just let it load in. It's a beautiful segment that I got to sit down with Cedric Case. So once it loads in, we will play it, and now it's loaded in. Let's get into it. Alrighty, guys, welcome back. It's JT Noah, Just Talking Sports. I'm sitting down with Cedric Case, quarterback, starting quarterback for the University of Central Missouri. Glad to have you on, man. How you doing? No, I appreciate you, man. It's great to be here. All right, man. You're coming off that huge game. 16 of 16, 246 yards, six touchdowns, all in the first half. What did it feel like doing that in the first half for the team and having that big lead headed to halftime? You know, it felt really good, but not uh, because I wanted to put up you know, numbers for myself. But it was just so good to see so many different guys catch the ball and get in the end zone. Um, you know, seeing guys like Jay Haynes and Bo Reeves and Jack Pospisil all get in the end zone and score touchdowns. I mean, that made my day. Um, and that being said, I didn't even realize quite what the stat line looked like until I checked out of the game. And somebody asked, like, hey, man, did you have an incompletion today? I was like, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think I did. So, uh, um, you know, it was a great day. We executed really well. And, you know, we just got to keep building off of that now. Yeah, I mean, it was a great game, obviously. And your season stats, they've looked good through nine games. I mean, over two, a 20, uh, over 2,100 yards and a 66.6 completion rate, seven touchdowns and seven interceptions. Now, you started your college career at Texas State. Now, what made you pick UCM once you left Texas State? Yeah, so once I uh, decided to transfer, um, the person I looked to for guidance was Coach Bob Stitt, and he was my OC at Texas State, and unfortunately he was let go um, after my first season there. So uh, I kind of went to him for guidance and looking where to go next, and he connected me to Coach Sabota, who was our head coach at the time, um, because he coached with him back in, like in the 80s in Nebraska Wesleyan, and he told me, you know, I think Coach Boda is a guy that you would love to play for and a guy you'd learn a lot from. Um, I took my visit here, and he was right, and I absolutely loved Coach Boda. I still do. Obviously now Coach Lambeau's here, and that's been – one of the best things in my life as well, you know, and um, I'm super blessed that I've been able to connect with two amazing head coaches in my time here at Central Missouri. Um, you know, I wish nothing but the best for Coach Boda at Tulane, and I'm also super excited that now I have the chance to learn from Coach Lambeau, and he's been such a great mentor to me, so it's been, it's been awesome. Right, I mean, now Coach is at Tulane, like you said, he's doing some good things up there with Tulane. Oh, yeah. um, so you've been at Texas State. I know you didn't play for them. Yep. But what's the biggest difference that you've learned from playing with being a D1 program and now with a, D, a Division two and a Division one program, I right. should say? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I would just say that there's guys that can play at all levels. You know, I, I got here not knowing what to expect, but some of the best football players I've ever been around have been here at UCM. Um, you know, and some guys don't necessarily get recruited to higher levels for whatever reason, but that doesn't make them uh, – a less of a player. You know, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions we get is the difference between um, all levels. You know, I mean, there's guys who can ball at every single level, level Division One through NAIA, JUCO, you know, all that. Um, 
So I would just say, you know, especially here in the NYAA, I mean, I see a lot of good players every single week. And, uh, you know, that's ultimately why I also chose UCM. Um, it's because I knew that the NYAA was the best conference in Division Two, And, you know, you get to lace it up every week against some of the best guys in the, in the country. Yeah, I mean, you think about the MIAA, they are probably the top tier of the division, too. They're like yeah, the SEC absolutely, coming. Right. I mean, you got Northwest. I mean, it's just there for it. And at that competition, like you say, it feels like there's all athletes at all certain levels. But when it comes to the MIAA, I think the level is just a little bit higher in the Division two level I here. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, man. And so um, I want to take you back to the beginning of the season. Going into the season, you had only played in two games since 2019. So did you feel a little bit rusty coming into the season, just knowing that? Yeah, you know, it's been uh, a huge learning and growing process for me, you know, because truthfully I hadn't played, you know, once you had that COVID season in there, I hadn't played uh, meaningful snaps of football since really my senior year of high school. You know, I go in and I redshirt at Texas State, transfer here, we have the COVID year and have no season. Um, And then I'm, you know, backing up Twee and KB last year. Throughout the year, I got a couple opportunities, like you mentioned, but, uh, you know, those weren't necessarily the most meaningful snaps. So coming into this year, um, I knew it was going to be a learning process for me, and that's what I would say it's been. But um, I've been – I'll say I've been proud of myself because it it hasn't necessarily been the season that I wanted it to be or we wanted it to be, but I feel like I've uh, been able to approach things the right way and keep trying to grow and learn every week. still have a long way to go, but – um, I feel confident in where we're going. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it's a learning process, mm-hmm. and especially since now you're starting. Like you said, you you played in two games last year. Yeah. They weren't as meaningful as you would like, but do you think that helped you for this season coming forward, even though they weren't the most meaningful times? Do you think it helped you going into the season? Yeah, you know, I would say it did. Uh, just to get I, – I had an understanding of what it felt like to be in a college football game. Um, and I would say the other thing that helps me is – uh, especially in fall camp, uh, going against our defense, who is a really good defense, and uh, getting those full-speed reps against those guys. You know, um, They do a great job of getting us prepared. So, uh, yeah, I would say last year just understanding a little bit of what that feels like because I got to play against Northwestern Lincoln. So it was, you know, I saw what the speed of the game was in real time, and then just the opportunity to do it against our defense all the time, that, that really got me ready. Yeah, you said you did go against Northwest and Lincoln, and in Lincoln you had your first touchdown. Yeah. So that I bet that felt really good. And then you last week, obviously against Lincoln, you put up more touchdowns against them. So it seems like you know very well about Lincoln. Um, so you come from a sports-heavy family in a sense where almost all your family has played in the sports realm, whether they've been coaching or playing. Do you think that helps you at a as an advantage of how your family helped you come up in high school and now playing in college? Yeah, you know, uh, well, I come from a real competitive family. I mean, my my dad played college football. My mom played college basketball. And my sister, one of them is currently playing college volleyball. The other one's in high school. She plays basketball and volleyball. So, you know, we got a lot of sports going on. Um, I think one of the things that helped me the most is uh, having my dad coach me in high school, you know, because a lot of people tell you that – you know, the coaches in college, they are going to really get on you. And they do. But no one's going to be harder than, than my dad was. So I, I was prepared coming into it. You know, I, I can get chewed out and yelled at. And, you know, Coach Lambeau can get, get on me without it bothering me because I promise he's not going to do it worse than my dad did. So that that, pre- that prepped me really well. Yeah, I feel like everyone's like, oh, you have your dad as your coach, so he goes easy on you. I feel like no. if you have someone, like a relative, as your coach, they're going to be harder on you because they know where you're – where your peak is and you're not reaching it, they're going to push you till you do it. Yeah, you know, and he always told me, like, you got to understand the standard's got to be higher for you because, you know, you are my son, you know, so it, it can't look like you're getting any type of favors whatsoever. He's like, you and me both know that you're not getting any favors, but you got to make sure that everybody knows you're not getting any type of favors. So I'm going to hold you to a higher standard and get on you harder than I'm going to get on anybody else. But I really appreciated it, so. Right. It's helped you grow. And Absolutely, helped- yeah. Right. So you guys, as a football team for UCM, you guys are now 3-2 and two in your last five games, mm-hmm. but you started 0-4, and, and I know it was because of the tough schedule, but what else do you think has helped you start getting onto the right track going 3-2 and two in your last five games? That's a great question. Um, I, I think we knew, like I, we kind of talked before we went on air, that we knew those first four games were going to be hard. Um, but I don't think we changed the way we necessarily approached things. Uh, we didn't catch a lot of a lot of breaks early in the season, which was unfortunate. But what I've been really proud of is um, 
the way guys have responded. You know, and Coach Lambo's made that a huge point of emphasis is, you know, each week we kind of have a theme of the week, and that's been my favorite one so far is respond. And I feel like all year guys have done that. So, uh, you know, I would just say guys haven't wavered, you know. And as the season's progressed, we've grown closer as a team. We've gotten so much better. I mean, the team that we are right now is not the team that we were week one or week two, um, you know. So, obviously, there's no excuses for losing any games. But uh, I've just been really proud of the way that we've grown together. And I think, you know, if we were able to play some of those games back that, you know, there's some things we do differently to put ourselves in better positions, but ultimately, you know, it is what it is. You got to learn from it, grow from it, and try to finish the season strong. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my friends that don't go to UCM, I have a lot of friends that go to Missouri or something because we're all from the Kansas City area. They were like, oh, you guys are 0-4. How do you feel? I'm like, if you look at them, we're first-year coach. We have a new quarterback. We're playing close games. Some of the breaks didn't go our way. I think the record doesn't show how we are. And I knew sooner than later it was going to get clicking. Yeah. And it, it finally feels like it is. If It felt like against Lincoln, everything was clicking. But also when we were at homecoming, and mm-hmm. it just everything seems like it's flowing better offensively and defensively. Oh, yeah. Complimentary football has been a big uh, point of emphasis. And I feel like we've been playing better together on both sides of the ball. So. Right. So you obviously were here last year, but you didn't start. Mm-hmm. What has been the biggest difference going from different offensive schemes with head coaches wise? What do you think has been the biggest difference so far this year? Um, well, you know, just learning a new offense is kind of like learning a new language, you know, because obviously he comes in and then a lot of our terms are going to change in the way that we speak uh, about the game and the way the words flow on our offense. I mean, it just changes. So I would say that's kind of been um, – it's, it's ever-changing. That's the way I'd put it. It's ever-changing. You know, each week we're still learning and growing in the, into this new offense. You know, like you mentioned, that's our first year running it with a new coach. But uh, I feel like I mentioned earlier, you know, as we progressed, it's, begotten, it's, it's become a lot easier, you know, because now we're all speaking that language and we're all understanding. We're learning each other. You know, early in the year, uh, you look at the way that we were playing together, I wasn't necessarily connecting with certain guys the way I am now, you know, because they, they hadn't quite learned me yet in those life situations, and I hadn't quite learned them yet. But now we're kind of getting to those situations. They understand, hey, I want you to run this route like that, and I understand that certain guys want me to throw a ball in a certain spot. You know what I mean? So it's just that chemistry and coming together and understanding how we want to play together. So, Right, and I hate going with the professional route, but like last year, the Chiefs got a new offensive line. It looked mm-hmm. like Patrick Mahomes was in the first six games wasn't really figuring out how oh. was it going to go with the offensive line. And it felt like the first couple games for you, it didn't – I wouldn't say you didn't trust your offensive line. It just felt like you didn't feel the comfort zone of you didn't know when they were going to let go or where the, you didn't know where the blitz was coming. So it felt like – I wouldn't say you had happy feet, but you felt like – it felt like you were rushing a little bit more. No, that's, that's definitely uh, like a valid thing to say for me. You know, that's, the O-line's been – they've been solid. They've done such a good job all year and – I'm super thankful to play with all those guys up front because they kill it every week and they kill it every week in practice. But, uh, you know, like I mentioned, for me, I hadn't played uh, a lot of football in a few years. So just to get back out there and be in that live action, um, I think you can see now I've calmed down a little bit more. Um, Maybe happy feet's the word to use, but, you know, it's just been um, a learning process. Early in the year there was times where I probably did leave earlier than I needed to in the pocket because it was just me trying to escape and make a play, thinking that pressure was coming probably could have hung in there and taken a hit and gotten the ball out, you know. So it's just been, uh, like I mentioned, you know, that growth for me, learning when to get in, when to stay, when to get out. Uh, but yeah, it's been great. You know, the O-line's been, been getting, they've been getting better as a unit too, you know, playing together more and more, getting more reps together. That just makes all of them better. So Yeah, the whole team's getting better, and it's showing with the record the last five games. So you have two games left. Yep. How, I know the season's not quite over, but how do you build these last two games for, like, come next season and for the offseason how do you want to use these two games just to help build this the season up to yeah. finish strong and then get ready for next season as well well that's another great question because that's um big been a big point of emphasis you know you don't want to just mail it in you know and well we have two weeks left and we can just kind of coast you don't want to do that you know let's let's build momentum going into next year and try to you know put ourselves in the best position to win these two games let's try to build some momentum for next year and you know, get people excited about going into the year next year and get the fans excited about what's coming next year, you know. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we got senior senior day coming up, and you want to play hard for those seniors. You know, we want to go out there and, um, you know, like Zay Jackson. I want to go out there and play hard for Zay Jackson. I want to go out there and play hard for Travis DeGrate. You know, I want, I want to 
be able to send those guys off on the right note and finish this season strong. So yeah, like you mentioned, let's let's go out there and try to finish strong. You know, we're going to approach each week the same way. It's nameless, faceless opponents. No matter who's across from us, got to approach each week the same and go out there and do what we can to get the win. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's coming up with the, the senior mm-hmm. game, and like, how do you how do you put aside like all the I wouldn't say like antics and side stuff that mm-hmm. happens within the school. Like, how do you guys put that away and like just focus on the football team and the football yeah. game ahead of you? Like when a homecoming came around. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Again, uh, Coach Lambo, he's he's so good about that. Um, homecoming is a great example. You know, uh, when we had Hoko Week, he he told us, you know, there's going to be a lot of distractions and a lot of stuff going around right now, and none of it involves you. You know, what people are here to come to do is come to the football game. You know, and ultimately what they're going to remember is the result of this football game. So nothing matters except for that game at whatever time we played, 1 or one thirty. So nothing matters but your game, you know, in the afternoon. And I think, uh, you know, homecoming was a great example. Guys, we focused and ultimately we played good team football and got the win. So it's the same idea for senior day. You know, it'll be um, a bit emotional. You know, we know that we're playing uh, our last games with some of our, our best friends on this earth. But, uh, you know, that should be a motivation to go out there and get it done for them. Yeah, and like you said, that game was, I believe, at one thirty. Yeah. Um, now, like your first two games were evening games on a Thursday night. Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird how it goes, but do you have a preference of what time you're playing on a football field, or do you just care to go out on that football field and throw the football around and have fun out there? Ah, uh, man. Um, I don't think it really matters too much. Uh, like you said, the, the first two games being on Thursdays were a little different. Um, just throws the schedule off a little bit, you know, especially around school. But it is what it is. You know, you just got to, you know, adapt and overcome it. It is what it is. But uh, the night games, they are pretty cool when the lights are on and the people are out being loud. There's something about playing football under the lights. Um, but we get a great crowd for that 1 o'clock action. I mean, we have one of the best crowds in the MIAA, and they show up every week and um, really make some noise for us. So I don't think it really matters to me what time of the day we play. Anytime, you know, slice them up, let's go get it done. So. Yeah, when I played, that's how I felt. I was like, let me just go out there, have some fun. Absolutely, yeah. Let's hit someone or throw the football around. Um, so what what is one thing that you think maybe you think flies under the radar about like your ability as a quarterback that you don't think many coaches or defenses see that you think just go under the radar that you think you can maybe improve on or that you're you're just happy with right now and mm-hmm. want think that the defense doesn't see it coming. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I've gotten um, a bit faster since I was in high school. Uh, people see me running today, and, like, they're pretty impressed with it. But, like, if you go back and look at what I did, I didn't run the ball in high school. I wasn't very fast. I mean, I think my junior year of high school, I finished with negative 24 rushing yards. Negative 24. Um, yeah, so that's been, like, that's actually just been fun for me, you know, because I didn't realize uh, how fast I had gotten over the last few years. Not that I'm, you know – you saying bold or anything, but I can make some guys miss now and get out and make some plays on my legs. So that's been uh, a revelation to me in itself. That's That's been a lot of fun. It's just me being able to get out and run the ball. Yeah, I mean, negative 24 yards, that's, that's not the not great. No, no. <laughs> is that even counting the sacks? That, you, that, is, that is okay. the sacks. Okay. That counts the sacks, but I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, I think I, I broke the state record for passing yards that year, but my total yards were less than my passing yards because of those negative. <laughs> it was rough to look at. That's, the final that's stats. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty rough. But like you said, I don't think. I feel like people sometimes now with the new age of quarterbacks yeah. that everyone thinks that they have to be mobile and running. I think a quarterback has to be able to move around in the pocket yeah. enough to make a, de- a defender miss. Like I take example Justin Herbert. I think when I look at you and see some of your throws, I can see a little bit of a Justin Herbert in you. But, like, I don't need a Lamar Jackson out of you. No. Like, you don't need a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray. You, right. We just need someone that can move around and make it one defender miss and keep, like, five seconds extra in the pocket yeah. to throw the football. And a lot of time that's what I'm looking to do. Is It's not necessarily me looking to uh, move to run downfield myself, but it's to move to try to find somebody downfield. And then, you know, if no one's there or I see a lane, then I'll take off and run. But, uh, you know, I like to try to move to get those guys the ball because ultimately they're the playmakers. So Right. Okay. One more question for you. Mm-hmm. When you – when you do take off, get past the line of scrimmage, and you're running with the football, are you looking to slide, or are you going to lower your shoulder and take the hit? So I got to embarrass myself a little bit. Um, first game of the year, first I think it was first play of the season, um, I get out, run for about 10, get down and slide. 
and I got a scar on my leg now because I've never been, I never played baseball and was never taught how to slide. So if someone could connect me with the baseball coach and let me get a lesson with him on sliding, that would be outstanding. Because now if you watch me play, I'm usually trying to get out of bounds or I'll just dive. Because, you know, coach doesn't want me necessarily taking extra hits. Now, if we got to get the first, I'll put my shoulder down and get it. That being said, if I can learn how to slide, that'd be great. So if someone could hook me up with a baseball coach, I would love that. Okay, you heard the dude. Let's hook him up with the baseball coach so he can learn how to slide and keep himself safe on the football field. Well, I want to thank you again, Cedric. It's been a pleasure interviewing you, having you on the show. Um, I always love talking to football people, especially when they are the starting quarterback or even on the starting team. Um, So thank you once again for coming on and taking these questions from me. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So thank you once again. And now let's send it back to JT in the studio. Yeah, man, that was a great interview. It was a great sit down. We just had a conversation and it was fun. And I just, it was a great time. So once again, thank you, Cedric Case, for coming on, having a great conversation. It was a pleasure to sit down, talk with you about UCM football and how the season's going. Now, if you want to go see them in action, they're going to be home. Last home game of the season, Senior Day, 1 o'clock on November 5th, this Saturday, at Walter Stadium, Kennedy Field. Be there. Show some support for the football team. The Mules, like I said, they're 3-2 and two in their last five games. They're building off a win they just got last week where they put it on Lincoln. They're playing Missouri Western at home, 1 o'clock this Saturday. Show up, show the football team some pride, some celebration, and bring the energy to Walter Stadium Kennedy Field in Warrensburg, Missouri. All right, guys, when we come back, we're talking college football. The first playoff power rankings came out, and I got some issues with it, so we'll talk about it when we get back right here on Just Talking Sports on UCM The Beat. Do you like hearing certain predictions for upcoming games and power rankings according to different sources? Not those self-proclaimed experts. You can hear my predictions every Friday on Taking the Snap with me, your host, Colin Sumler, only on UCM The Beat. People been saying to your friend, get a different face. On their feed, they're super ugly. The things they say to them online are cruel and they're not true. So tell your friend, I'll stand up for you. Don't worry, I know what to do. Tell the world I see with an emoji to stop the Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. And welcome back to Just Talking Sports. I'm your host, JT Noah, and we're hopping into college football. But first, you know what I got to do, the trivia question. I didn't want to give you it before the interview because I wanted you to understand and listen to the interview because I thought it was a really cool interview. The question of the day is, who has kicked the longest field goal in NFL history? There you go. Who has kicked the longest field goal in NFL history? We'll answer that at the end. But right now, power rankings, playoff rankings for college football. The first one came out this week. And boy, oh boy, did it get the pot stirring. Those topics, those talk shows, they got talking. And guess what? I'm a talk show. So I'm going to talk about it too. Let's go over the top 10. We'll start at 10. Number 10, LSU. Number nine, USC. Number eight, Oregon. Number seven, TCU. Number six, Alabama. Five is Michigan. Four is Clemson. Three is Georgia. Two is Ohio State. And at number one, Rocky Top, Tennessee Volunteers. Okay, so what do I have an issue with? I'll start it with Clemson. Clemson at four. Eh, I don't like it. I don't like it, and you're probably wondering why I don't like it. Well, I'll tell you. Listen, 
Clemson is good. Undefeated, that's cool. I'm okay with them being ahead of Michigan. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them being ahead of Alabama. But here's where I get a little concerned. TCU, folks. TCU at number seven. That is wrong. I I don't like where TCU is. Listen, TCU has played one... They've played the toughest schedule they can play. Like, they've hit their peak with their schedule. They've played four ranked opponents. Now, two of them are ranked, and two are not ranked now. But what I'm saying, at that time, they were playing ranked opponents. And sure, they fell off, those two that fell off, which is Kansas and Oklahoma. But you've got to understand something. Those games were the peak for TCU. Like, TCU has hit their peak. They've played four ranked opponents when they were ranked, and you rank them at seven. So you're saying their top-notch level is seven. They can't get past seven because there's no way they can get past seven with their schedule. So, like, what I'm saying is if they win out, you're saying, and everyone else wins out, and there's one loss between Tennessee and Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State, their peak for them is seven. Where Where's the demonstration for that? I think they missed the ball here with that because TCU, like I said, has two top 25 wins with the two teams being in the top 25. That's Kansas State and Oklahoma State. So both state teams have lost to TCU. And it's just wild to me because they're giving up on the four games. This is combining all four ranked opponents. So Oklahoma State, K-State, Kansas State, Kansas, and Oklahoma. They're giving up an average of 30.7 points in those games and averaging 43.5 points per game. Now, when you look at Clemson, they've played three Top 25 teams, Wake Forest, NC State, and Syracuse. Those are top 25 wins, and all three of them are ranked. Now, they're giving up 28.6 points in three games, and they're averaging only 36 points per game. And I'm I'm saying only as 36 isn't that much when it is. But what I'm trying to say is Clemson's played three. TCU's played one more. They're only giving up about two points more a game and they're averaging seven points more than Clemson and then there's Michigan Michigan's only played one game of a top 25 opponent it was Penn State now you can say what you want what you want about that Penn State game oh Michigan looked better against Penn State than Ohio State but we could go on that for a different topic just because of where they were playing, and what was really going on. So I just think TCU should be higher. I think TCU should be around the five. I would go Tennessee one. I have no problem with the top three. Tennessee one, Ohio State two, Georgia three. I would put Michigan at four, five, TCU, Clemson six, Bama, Alabama, seven. That's how I would have it just because of the schedule and what they've done. I get it. TCU's not supposed to be here, but guess what? They're undefeated. Their quarterback's playing well, and I think they need a little more credit than they're getting from the college football rankings. Now, here's the thing about it with TCU. TCU goes undefeated, right? Cool. What are we going to do? TCU goes undefeated. We got those scenarios again with Ohio State, Michigan, and Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia. I've said this from all along since Tennessee has beat Alabama. This could be the year where we see three SEC teams in the college football playoffs. I think TCU will leap Alabama and Michigan if these two Alabama and Michigan lose because obviously Alabama then would have two losses but I don't think Michigan can compete with a one with a undefeated TCU while they're a one loss Michigan so that's where it's coming from now say Ohio State loses then there's that picture so it feels like TCU doesn't control their own destiny and that's the problem I have with that so that's where I'm coming from and I'm not even a TCU fan I'm a college football fan I'm a sports fan and that's how I see the rankings and how I feel they could go 
Now let's talk about some games to watch this weekend, man. It's going to be great. I like, wow, some really good games. And we're going to start with what will be the game of the week, hands down. Slap the table, get your chicken pot pie, sit down and eat it and watch Rocky Top, baby. Tennessee Volunteers, the new number one, head to Athens, Georgia, in Georgia to play the Georgia Bulldogs, who are ranked number three. I've talked about this game since Alabama versus Tennessee, folks. This is going to be a huge game. Georgia is favored, though. They're eight and a half point favored. And I'll tell you this Georgia does not want a shootout, they do not want points to be scored. If they have and want a chance to win, they've got to keep this game relatively close to 24 to 27 if it gets to 30s i'm putting my money on tennessee because georgia's not that type to play in shootouts so if georgia wants to win this game they've got to keep tennessee under 27 points that's how i see it and if they don't they're going to lose i have tennessee winning it just seems like the year for rocky top to get into college football playoffs i've got tennessee going to athens georgia and beating the georgia bulldogs moving on to a 6 p.m game number six alabama 13 and a half point favorite heads to Ban rouge to play lsu Listen, LSU is coming out of nowhere. There's a lot of criticism about LSU being in the top 10 with two losses. They're playing Alabama. You know this game's going to be close. I like Alabama to win this game. I think Alabama knows they've got to keep winning if they want a chance to get into the college football playoffs. And I just think they have an all-around better squad, roster-wise and coaching. I like Alabama to win but I see LSU covering the 13 and a half. Another 6 p.m. game. You got number 24, Texas, who's a two and a half point favorite headed to Kansas State. Now, I don't get this. Kansas State has looked phenomenal. Listen, they lost to Tulane at home. That was a horrible loss. They've also felt good, and they've, they've only lost uh, one other game. And so everyone's like, what are they doing? Why are they? I'm I'm concerned because why are they not favored? I get it. Texas, uh, excuse me. Texas is number 24. But did you see what number 13 Kansas State did to Oklahoma State last week? Yeah, it was bad, very bad. Worst loss in Mike Gundy's Oklahoma State career. That's how bad it was. I like Kansas State to win this, and I think they win by double digits. Give me the Wildcats to move past the Longhorns. Now, my big upset of the week, it's a 3 p.m. game. It's Liberty going to Arkansas. Liberty versus Arkansas. Arkansas is a 13.5 point favorite, and I don't know why, but on my shoulder, it just feels like Liberty's going to win. Liberty was ranked number 25 in the AP polls. Now, when the college football rankings came out, they weren't ranked. I like Liberty to go to Arkansas and beat the Hogs in there. So give me Liberty to beat Arkansas as the upset of the week, folks. Alrighty, when we come back, we're going to swing our way with our bats into the World Series. It's going on. It's been a phenomenal World Series. And when we get back, we're going to talk about it. You're listening to Just Talking Sports right here on UCM The Beat. <laughs> juice, Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom I want Mommy. juice. Mom, <laughs> Mom. Your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Are you interested in Chiefs football or the NFL? Then join me, Colin Sumler, every Friday at noontime taking the snap only on UCM The Beat. Here are my game predictions, power rankings, and more. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to Just Talking Sports. I'm your host, JT Noah. And guess what? We're talking World Series. 
It's been a phenomenal World Series, and I'm so happy for the fans of Philly. Philadelphia, man, the brotherly love is what they say. So, the series is tied 2-2, but these games have been must-watch, and it's crazy because we're going to get into it once down in this segment, but there's something to talk about here. Now, we're going to start with Game 1, which happened Friday night. Friday night, guess what? Chaos happened. That's what. So I talked about how the bullpens were the key to this series. Because if you get the starting pitching out, you're getting to the bullpen. You have to get to the starting pitchers because the bullpens are so good. Well, guess what? It happened. So you see the Astros go up 5 nothing early on against the Phillies. And you're like, uh-oh, this game's over. Justin Verlander's in. I know he's not the old JV, but guess what? He still can pitch with a five-run lead. Well, guess what? Philly heard me and knew they had to get to JV before that bullpen came in. And guess what? They did. They got five runs off Justin Verlander to get him out of the game. Both starting pitchers didn't even make it through the sixth. They didn't do it, folks. The Phillies were down 5-0. They come back, tie it 5-5, and it stays 5-5 till the 10th. We go to extras in game one. That's when JT Raulmuto hits the game-winning solo home run in the top of the 10th, gives the Phillies a 6-5 lead in the 10th, and guess what? They hold and close the door in the bottom of the 10th. They win game one, 6-5. So you knew game two, the Astros were going to come swinging. They knew they had to get one game in Houston. The Phillies knew they had to get one game. So when it was like that, Houston's like, all right, we got to show up, we got to score, and we're going to take this game. And they showed up, and they hit the ball early, folks. Back to back to back. Yeah, three straight doubles to start the game off. That's one way to start the game if you're a Houston fan. They go, they get the lead, they hold the lead throughout the game. They win 5-2. Valdez goes six and one-third innings of one-run ball, and he hands it off to Montero. The one pitcher I said for Houston that's going to be the one that steps up, he is the setup man. Guess what? He goes in, shuts the door, brings in Presley. Presley gives up one run. That's why it's 5-2. Valdez gives up one run, and Presley gives up a run. It's 5-2. So, there's that. Now we're tied 1-1. We're headed to Philadelphia. Okay, that's cool. The series starts back up Monday, right? No. Weather said, hey, let me join the party and crash it. She crashes the party. Guess what? Games move back. All right, Tuesday, game three, let's do it. Have some fun. Game three on Tuesday, the Phillies came out and they swung the bat. And I'll, I'm going to get into it in just a minute. But listen, they hit five home runs. The Phillies hit five home runs off McCullers. But guess what? Here's the thing. McCullers, you got to watch yourself, man. You were tipping your pitches. And if you don't know what tipping pitches mean, I'll tell you. So it's like a a tendency of something different. So sometimes it's like a finger moving you can see in the glove or it's a kick. And in this instance, this instance, McCullers had the kick problem. So on his changeup, his knee would go up a little bit below his belt. Then with his slider, it would go above his belt. And so Bryce Harper saw it. And he made McCullers pay in the first, hitting a home run. And then Boehm, the rookie, comes up and uh, Harper goes, come here. And he tells him something. The next pitch, guess what? Home run. So they saw something. He was tipping his pitches and the Phillies took advantage of it. I couldn't believe Dusty Baker kept him in so long. So he gives up the five home runs. Dusty Baker doesn't take him out in time because that bullpen is strong for Houston. They just didn't get to him. And guess what? You lose 7 nothing. Schwarber and Hoskins go back-to-back back in the fifth. Schwarber had a two-run home run, then followed up by a Hoskins solo home run. So the Phillies win by a touchdown over the Astros in Game 3. And then Game 4 last night. More chaos, man. You knew Houston 
was going to bring their best game for this game because they're already down 2-1. You can't go down 3-1, and it just felt like Philadelphia had it going. The Phillies were feeling good. They were all the momentum. That energy there was crazy. And so the one way to make a fan base be quiet, throw a no-hitter, and that's what Houston did. They threw a combined no-hitter last night, the second ever in a World Series, and it was great because Christian Javier pitched six innings with no runs, obviously, no hits, nine strikeouts, and two walks. Listen to this stat for the offense of Philadelphia. Ralmuto, Boehm, and Castellanos each had three strikeouts. They had the hat trick of striking out. The Phillies, as a team, struck out 14 times. That's not going to do it. They have to find it. So your offense was great. Game three, your offense was nowhere. It was Casper and his friendly friends of Ghost showing up for game four. Who's going to show up game five? You know who I feel is going to show up. I think it's the Philadelphia Phillies. Listen, they're at home. Last home game, no matter what, of the season, of the postseason. The Phillies are going to show up. They're going to swing the bat early. It's Justin Verlander on the mound for Houston. They've already seen him, and they got five runs off him. Here's the thing. The Phillies are going with a bullpen game, sort of. Syndergaard, Noah Syndergaard, who was a starter is pitching, but he's coming from the bullpen. He hasn't started a game in a while. He starts the game, and it's going to be a bullpen game for the Phillies. Will they hold the door for nine innings? I think it's going to happen. I think the Phillies are only going to give up two runs, and I think the Phillies are going to score four. It's going to be 4-2 tonight as the winner for Houston, excuse me, for Philly, and my prediction is going to be wrong. I said Houston in six. It looks like it's going to be either Houston in seven or Philly in six. I'm going to stick with what I said, and I'm not going to go away from it. I'm going to say Houston wins, but I'm moving it back to game seven. So Houston wins in seven. They've got to find a way, and it's going to be hard. They've got to win two straight if they lose tonight. So as much as you want it, this pretty much right here, I think, is the series. Who wins tonight wins the series. Because once you win tonight, you have to win one of two games. That's it. If you lose tonight, you have to win two straight. So the pressure's on for the losing team, and that's why I think Philadelphia, the Phillies, are going to come out swinging, and they're going to get this win tonight for 2 Okay, folks, when we get back, it's NFL time. We're throwing touchdowns. We're talking NFL power rankings, and guess what else? We're talking games to watch, man. Hey, the Chiefs are back to playing this week. They're off that bye. You also have some other good matchups. So it's going to be fun when we get back. We're going to be talking about it. You're listening to Just Talking Sports right here on UCM The Beat. <laughs> juice, Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom I want Mommy. juice. Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mom. Your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey y'all, I'm Blake Shelton. I love that country music connects people all over this great nation, but unfortunately so does something else, childhood hunger. 15 million children struggle with hunger in America. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks works to rescue our surplus food to help provide billions of meals to families in need across the country. Join the fight against hunger at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. I'm a retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. 
Yo, 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 welcome back to Just Talking Sports. I'm JT Noah still, nothing's changed, but we're into the NFL. And we're into the power rankings. It's going to be a good one, I think. A lot of change happening, and we're going to see what you think of my power rankings. So let's get right into it, shall we? Alright, at number 10, a newcomer to the list. Tennessee Titans, they've made the list at number 10. And everyone's like, I think they're sleeping a little bit on Tennessee. I'm not saying they're the same team from last year that was the one seed. But I think they're going under the radar just a little bit. They started 0-2. They've won five straight. And last week, it was the Derrick Henry show. Because you had Tannehill out, Malik Willis starting. It was the Derrick Henry show. And he showed why he's still King Henry. He ran the ball efficiently. And with power. I know it was against the Texans, but still, he ran the ball powerful. And when you don't have your starter, you've got to find that someone. And Derrick Henry showed up. Now, I do have some concerns about their wide receiver core. And just who else will run the football besides Derrick Henry. But they're sitting at number 10, 5-2 after winning 5 straight. At number 9, another newcomer. The Seattle Seahawks. Folks, they're 5-3. Let's get that real. 5-3, they're number 4 in scoring. They have 14 sacks in their last 3 weeks. And they also have 7 games with multiple takeaways on defense. So, they're taking the ball away. And they have the number 4 scoring offense. So, that's what I'm saying. They had a really good draft. Like, they got two stud tackles. They got some nice corners. So, they look good with their pieces they got back for Russell Wilson. And, obviously, it helps when Russell Wilson's not doing as well. So, that trade looks better and better for Seattle. And they're building a future. No one saw Geno Smith doing what he's doing. But he's playing phenomenal. That's why they're at number 9. Now, number 8. Ah, this team. Listen, I've told you from the get-go, folks. I love this team, and I, I stage away from them occasionally. But you know how much I love this team, and when they're fully healthy, they're the number one team in the NFC. The San Francisco 49ers. Listen, San Francisco, 4-4. Four and four. I know, I know, 4-4. Four and four. But hold your horses. Jimmy Garoppolo, folks. Jimmy G. Fourth straight game with multiple touchdowns, and that happened last week against the Rams. Also, I just got to trust this team. Listen, McCaffrey, you've got Debo. They won against the Rams. They put it on the Rams, and they didn't have Debo Samuel. That defense is getting stronger. I like what they're doing. I just got to trust myself in trusting this team. Like, when they lose, I got to just trust myself. Once they get to the playoffs, they're going to be a hard team. And guess what? They're in the NFC West. So it's not that hard. You have the Seattle Seahawks above you. You can make a case and chase them to get that spot in your division. So I have them at number eight. Number seven. Ah, This one's tough. I, I flipped it between six and seven and eight. Those three I've been flipping. Number seven, though, I have the Baltimore Ravens. They were ranked eighth last week. They're five and three. They traded for Roquan Smith from Chicago. They also have the easiest schedule remaining. And listen, they've done well with their schedule so far. I know it's 5-3, and three, but remember, folks, they, before last week, had every single game led by double digits at one point, and they just blew it. So, they've got to figure it out when keeping leads. Also, I just think they, when they get the lead is the team you can trust more than Tennessee, more than San Francisco, because they can control the clock. Listen, Jimmy Garoppolo is good. Doesn't throw turnovers. He makes the simple plays. Lamar Jackson can run with the football. So in a two-minute drill or a two-minute offense where you're just trying to run the clock out, he can do that for you. You also have the number two running offense. So that helps with controlling the clock. So once they get a lead, they should be able to keep it because they should run the football. Wow. We'll see if they do that moving forward. And so number six, I had to put them above the Ravens. 
and I know it's because, oh, they beat them, but it, it, it's true. I get that the Miami Dolphins are three losses as well, but all their losses came with Tua out or Tua banged up. They beat Buffalo, folks. They also came back against the Ravens. I just, this offense is a masterpiece. McDaniels is making beautiful schemes, beautiful playups, and I like it. They also just traded for Bradley Chubb, and you know how it feels. You saw what Buffalo did. They went and got Von Miller, and guess what? He closed the game against the Chiefs. That's what Miami's doing. Okay, let's get pressure without blitzing on these quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson. You get the point. you got to get pressure without blitzing. That's why they went and got Bradley Chubb. They just signed him to an extension. Also, they're great on third down. Tua is completing 72%, folks, of his passes on third down. So once you get to third down, Tua is making plays to get the first down. That's why they're number six. Number five, Dallas Cowboys. They were ranked seventh. They played well. They showed up. They beat a bad, decent, whatever you want to call it, Chicago Bears. And you can talk about the Micah Parsons touchdown play all you want, but it felt like in the second half... The defense and the offense started clicking a little more for the Dallas Cowboys. And you knew it was going to happen because of Dak coming back. It was going to take some time, folks, for this offense to get clicking again with Dak being out for a little bit. It was going to take some time for Dak to get back in his groove. And it felt like in the second half he got back to that groove. Listen, they lead the NFL in sacks. And another thing, Jerry Jones, I know you paid him big money. I get it. But you've got to let the coaching do this. The coaches need to put Tony Pollard back there and let him be the starting running back no matter when Zeke comes back because Pollard is the better back. I hate I hate you're wasting your money on Zeke, but Pollard's the better running back. Let Pollard be the starter. Let him do the dirty work for you. Number four, Minnesota Vikings. Listen, I'm I'm not saying I said it, but I did. I'm not saying I did, but I did. Listen, the Vikings, Minnesota Vikings, six and one. They're staying right where they were. They trade for TJ Hawkinson from Detroit. You never see that happen in division trades, but it happened. And what a pickup for the Vikings. Now they've got a stud tied in. I love TJ. I think he's great. And it's not just because his name's backwards to mine, okay? Listen, it's because he plays well. He's a great route runner. He has great hair. He plays well. He came from Iowa. He's going to do well in this offensive system with Justin Jefferson, excuse me, Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen. You get it. They're going to do work. It's up to Kirk Cousins to make the plays, and I think he's going to do it as long as they're not on prime time. You get what I'm saying? Okay. Number three, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Listen, they're coming off a bye. They're not moving. I'm not going to move them up. Not going to move them down. I'm going to keep them right where they were. They they trade for Kadarius Tony from the Giants. That's a it's a weird pickup, but you know how Andy Reid is. And like I've said, I think they're going to use him more as a returner than anything. I think they're done with the little experiment with Sky Moore, and that's why they went to get Tony. Tony's going to make plays. He's shifty. He's quick. He's going to make plays once he gets the ball in his hands. Question is, will he stay healthy? Another thing, the Chiefs are winning this week. I know Tennessee's coming to town, but Andy Reid's 19-3 and off a bye. I don't see Tennessee winning or coming close to beating the Chiefs. Number two, we're going to... We're going to shake it up. I had Buffalo 1 last week, but I'm moving Buffalo to 2. And the reason I'm moving them to 2, I feel they're too heavy on Josh Allen. The Chiefs this year have moved a little more to not being so relentless and heavy on Patrick Mahomes. They're trying to get a run game. It doesn't feel like that with Buffalo. Buffalo, listen to this. They lean too hard, obviously, on Allen, but Allen has scored 21 of 23 touchdowns for the Buffalo Bills. Only two other touchdowns have come from someone else not named Allen. So they've got to find something out for my man Josh Allen because they're relentless and too heavy on him. 
And that's what's going to hurt you come playoffs. You've got to find a run game. And I get they trade it for Neheim Hines. So what are they going to do? They've got to figure it out. They've got to figure a run game. And Hines is not a running running back. He's a receiving back. He's more of the catch-passing running back. So as much as everyone's like, oh, my God, they got a running back, I feel Bills fans and as a Chiefs fan, I would have felt more dangerously scared about the Bills. Say they got either Christian McCaffrey or Kareem Hunt. So I'm totally okay with them getting Hines because I don't feel that scared of Hines like I do of a Hunt or a McCaffrey. And number one, it's it's the Philadelphia Eagles, folks. They're undefeated. They traded for Robert Quinn. And I know Quinn hasn't played that well this season, but guess what? He's another defensive package player, and Davis just went down for them. He's on the IR, so it's a great pickup. And then, are we not going to talk about how beautiful of a trade the Eagles made to get A.J. Brown? A.J. Brown, what a piece. It's helped Hurts, obviously, tremendously in this offense, and it showed against Pittsburgh. I know it was Pittsburgh, but they went after them. Brown was getting double teamed late, and guess what? Still touchdowns. He got three of them. You get a touchdown, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown. That's how my man A.J. Brown felt. He was just giving touchdowns. He was getting them, man. He had a great game against Pittsburgh, and the Philadelphia Eagles just look really good. I know everyone's like, oh, they're going to they're gonna slip up. They might slip up. I'm not saying they're going to go perfect, but I'm just saying they're the best team right now by far in the NFC. That's how it is. They're superior. Like I've said many weeks, one, two, and three, you can put them in whatever order you want. One, two, three, Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles, and obviously the Buffalo Bills. I'm always going to have the Buffalo Bills above the Chiefs for a while, just because Buffalo did go to Kansas City in Arrowhead and won. That's how it works, folks. Unless they slip up and have a bad game, I'm not moving them. But the top three are the Chiefs, Eagles, Bills. Okay? Then there's a cliff. ka And you fall. And then there's those teams like the Vikings, Cowboys, Dolphins, Ravens, 49ers. It's just a mumble of, we're going to get to the playoffs. What are we going to do when we get there? And then there's the rest of the teams. Like, honestly, you could go top three, Chiefs, Bills, Eagles, a bunch of good teams. And then at the very bottom, you got the, the Bears and Texans and Jags. So, that's how it is with those rankings. Now, let's move on to the games to watch. Okay, folks. Games to watch. I can't believe I'm saying this. And it's going to be interesting. 12 p.m. kickoff. The Bills are a 12.5 point favored over the Jets. And I get it. I don't trust Zach Wilson with anything. I do believe the Bills win. The Bills are going to win. Listen, Bills have awesome chemistry moving together. I like the Bills to win. I do like the Jets to cover the 12 and a half though, folks. Listen, that defense for the Jets is good. Sauce Gardner, beautiful. What a pickup. Like, man, he's going to lock Stephon Diggs down. Now, will Davis get open? We'll find out. I like to see, and I think Knox is going to have a huge game for Buffalo. So I like the Bills to win, Jets to cover the 12 and a half. 3 p.m. You have a, a rematch of a playoff game last week when the teams were actually good. You have the Rams versus the Buccaneers. Buccaneers are three-point favorite. I'm taking the Rams to win. I don't like the Buccaneers wide receivers. I don't like the offensive line. Tom Brady's looking bad. I just think Aaron Donald's going to get to Tom Brady. Lenny, Leonard Fournette hasn't looked good. So give me the Rams to win. The Rams feel like they have to win because now they're playing catch up, playing catch up not only with the 49ers, but the Seahawks. So they've got to win more than the Buccaneers. Give me the Rams to win in Tampa. Sunday night football, folks. Tennessee Titans. Come to Arrowhead in Kansas City. Chiefs are a 12.5-point favorite. Give me the Chiefs to win. I'm pressing the button. It's going to be a 15-point win for the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to win that game, and I think it's going to be relatively easy for them, okay? And then my upset of the week. This team's coming off the bye. That's why I'm really shaky to go against them. I'm taking the Atlanta Falcons, who are a three-point underdog, to beat the Chargers. 
I just think Marcus Mariota, this offense, the Atlanta team, is a team of destiny. I like the Atlanta Falcons to pull off the upset against Justin Herbert and the Chargers off their bye. So that's how it's going to go. I got Bills winning, Rams winning, Chiefs winning, and Falcons winning. Okay, folks. Last thing. My trivia question. Who was the... Oh, who has the longest kick in NFL history? Well, it happened last year. None other than Justin Tucker for the Baltimore Ravens. He kicked a 66-yard field goal last season versus the Detroit Lions. I know it was in a dome, but guess what? It still counts. He had a 66-yarder, folks. That's the record. He holds it. Okay. All right. That's all the time we have, man. What a great episode. It started shaky. You love technology, right? Technical difficulties had me shaky a little bit at the beginning. But once we got to the interview, it was great. Once I hope you enjoyed the interview. And when we come back next week, we're talking about the World Series winner. Who will it be? And we're also going to talk a little bit of NBA. Lakers and Nets. What's happening to them? That's right here on Just Talking Sports on UCM the Beat every Thursday, 12, 12, 15, depending on the start time, 12 to 12, 15 is the start time to 1 to 1, 15. You get the gist, all right? Be here every Thursday around noon to listen to your boy JT. All right, guys, I'm out. You have a great day and a great weekend. All right, peace.